there's no such thing as a good or a bad emotion, right? Emotions are data, emotions are information. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Kraft, and welcome to Healthy Conversations. Today, we're in Healthy Conversations with Dr. Mark Brackett, a professor in the Child Study Center and the director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and the co-creator of Ruler. Before we dive in, maybe just the obvious question, I'm sure you get a lot, what is emotional intelligence? How do you define that? And then we'll maybe riff into how that applies to clinicians and healthcare systems and kids around the world. Kind of the brief definition, which is by my uh, mentors, Peter Salovey, who's the president of Yale, and Jack Mayer, who is a professor of psychology, is the ability to use your emotions wisely. Like, how do you do that? And so there are skills. I call them the ruler skills, the skills of recognizing our own and others' emotions. So paying attention to facial expression, body language, vocal tone, what's going on in your body, what's going on in your head. Understanding emotions. Why am I feeling this way? Why are you feeling this way? What are the consequences of these feelings of my thinking, my judgment, my decisions? Then there's the labeling of emotions. So if it's anger, is it a little bit of anger, like peeved, or is it a lot of anger, like enraged, or is it content, or is it ecstatic? That's R-U-L. And then there's, all right, so now, what do I do with these feelings now that I have them? And so E is expressing emotions, knowing how and when to express emotions with different people across different contexts. And then the R is the big one, which everybody's asking for these days, which is regulation. What do I do with these feelings? How do I manage them? What's the strategy that's going to help me deal with the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelm? So many of us in healthcare and even outside of healthcare have been stressed by the pandemic. Have you been able to measure emotional elements and how those have shifted just in terms of our being quarantined and locked up? And now we are all interacting much more virtually. And the way you express or pick up on someone's body tone or eyes is much different if you're on a Zoom than if you're face-to-face. There's abundant research which shows that the anxiety levels in our nation have escalated to levels that I don't think we're even aware of in many ways, because I think we don't really measure this so well in general. What am I really feeling? Most people are not very granular about how they're feeling. They say they're stressed, but maybe they're feeling overwhelmed, or maybe they're feeling nervous, or maybe they're feeling fear. And so a lot of the work we do in schools and even with doctors and others is helping them to define these concepts really clearly because when you can label your feelings accurately, it's easier to find the strategies that are going to help you to manage those feelings. If we can recognize something and measure it, we can and address it. And you've got a team of 60 working at Yale where you're training the entire oncology team on emotional intelligence. Can you tell us a bit about the study you did around emotional intelligence and job satisfaction there and, and what empirical evidence came out of your work at the Yale Cancer Center? I had the opportunity to work with Roy Herbst, who is one of the leaders at the Cancer Hospital, and did a study with a number of oncologists. And what we found was that, like you might predict, doctors who experience more pleasant emotions in general, higher job satisfaction, less burnout, less likely to want to leave the profession. But doctors who experienced a lot more unpleasant emotions had higher burnout rates, greater intentions to leave the profession. And so it just goes to show you that how we feel matters. And how do you measure how someone feels? I mean, in the clinical setting for a clinician or or beyond. There's the kind of social aspects of your emotional life. Do you feel connected? Do you feel respected? Do you feel valued, appreciated? And then there's the other interesting aspects of your emotional life, which I think we don't study enough, 
which are the emotions like awe and inspiration around like the purpose and meaning of your work. We've spent years developing surveys to tap these different areas and um, administer them. I'm a pediatric oncologist by background, and you know, you've seen those settings where when the kid finishes their chemotherapy as a remission, you ring the bell and everyone celebrates or someone's discharged from a long COVID uh, hospitalization. Have you seen ways to sort of design in some of those elements of mission appreciation awe that can help the often job satisfaction where you mostly want to kill your electronic medical record as opposed to celebrate? <laughs> I think it's about helping doctors in particular understand why emotions matter. And what I've learned over the years is that there's some kind of weird training that you're not supposed to feel, right? That you're supposed to deny and suppress and control your feelings or they'll control you. And it's really the opposite. I have so many stories and examples of my interviews with doctors where they say things like, you know, I pretend I'm a rock. I'm not penetrable. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Tell me why that's helpful. Well, you know, in oncology, I deal with patients who, you know, are having very intense experiences. And if I show my feelings, you know, maybe it's going to be misleading. And I say, well, let's think about it this way. Do you believe that the patient is in dire need for connection? I don't know if you ever saw this in your training, Daniel, where it's the still face phenomenon. And what happens is that the mom will be with their baby and they'll be like comfy dumpy and playful and the baby's laughing and the baby's like reaching and trying to like learn and growing and then switches and the mom goes into a flat face. And at first the baby tries to connect and then the baby starts getting discomfort and then the baby starts literally crying and screaming because they can no longer connect. The same thing applies for adults, whether it be parent, child, doctor, patient. We're desperate for connection. I'm saying this because I think one of the things that I've noticed is that it's almost a fear that if I show my feelings and if I connect, I'm going to get lost in my feelings. And my response is, no, what matters is that you learn strategies to manage those feelings so that you can be a human being with your patient. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. <laughs> totally does. I mean, we're hardwired for love and connection. And even if it's a patient-doctor relationship or a very challenging one, like being an oncologist with a patient who might have a terminal illness and even can be therapeutic. Reflecting back on, on my medical training, like in the intensive care unit, the outlet would, of course, be some humor. But there was a doctor room at the ICU. There were these journals that went back years of, of the residents writing out their feelings and their experiences that were quite eye-opening to read. So every year I do an institute for residents and I always go around, I say, a typical day, you wake up in the morning, how do you feel? It's middle day, end of day. Give me one word that you would use to describe your emotional life. It's usually things like meh, down, some say bored, stress. Out of a group of 30, maybe three or four, will say things like inspired and connected and awe. And it's heartbreaking because we want to acknowledge that we have strong, unpleasant feelings, but we need greater balance in life. It makes you think about what can we do differently. Sometimes it's affected by physiology. If you're hunched over and looking depressed, you'll feel more depressed. If you sometimes get up and go and get some exercise in, are there sort of simple tools? Sure. I think the first step is being aware of it and saying, like, is this how I want to feel? 
or is this not how I want to feel? Is this emotion helping me build connections, make good decisions, you know, be creative in life? Or is this emotion kind of putting a hindrance on that? I think, again, in the medical field, you're taught to not even think about feelings. And what's really interesting to me about this, by the way, Daniel, now that I think about it, my undergrads say, you know, Professor Brackett, this is important, but like, I don't got time for this emotional intelligence stuff. I got to get the A in your class so I can get into medical school. Then I meet with the medical school students and they say, you know, I think this is interesting, but like, I got to get through medical school. And then I meet with the residents, they're like, this is really, I got 80 hours a day and 80 hours a week and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'll do this when I get my position. <laughs> and so by the time anybody's ready to start learning the skills, they're in their 40s or 50s. And now they have this like emotional life that's been, I don't know, stunted or something. And so I think we have to rethink education to help people see the value and importance of emotions early on. Education and the culture of medicine doesn't usually support it. So I guess the question would be, how could emotional intelligence you know, make or break the the culture of a company or a hospital? And how do we sometimes change that expectation of it's okay to say I'm not doing well today or my patient died and I'm devastated or I just had an amazing experience and I want to share that with the team? Or check in with my team to find out how they're doing. I'll give you the best example of this. I was giving a presentation for a bunch of surgeons and I say at the end of my presentations, any questions? One of the leading physicians stands up, what happened to this university? He's like, we produce Nobel laureates, not nice people. And then I said, well, does anybody else have another perspective on my talk? And another physician stands up and says, here's what I learned, Mark. Sometimes you have to be a blank because then the people who report to you just shut up and do what you tell them to do. And so I look over at the dean and I say, you know, are we making a movie here or something? (laughs) Like, is this my test of emotional intelligence? And I thought the dean was going to start crying And he said, you know, why do you think I asked you to come in? I share that with you because what I happen to know are the colleagues and the nurses and the other staff that work for these doctors who have that mindset. And I can tell you, they don't want to go to work. I would argue that the surgeon with that classic sort of malignant personality isn't going to get the best from his team or the best outcomes from his patients. So we've done some really big studies across the United States and multiple professions and have shown that the emotional intelligence of a manager, leader, supervisor correlates very highly with inspiration, frustration, burnout, ethical behavior, and the list goes on. And so I always tell people like, if they say, well, I don't think this matters. What I tell them is like, you haven't read the research. We got to get these skills embedded into our medical education systems. So have you had any success with that? I mean, are you seeing any medical schools or examples of places where you've been able to come in or others and start to instigate some of this thinking and and shifts? A little bit. It's, you know, the curriculum is already jammed. And then people will say things like, well, we can't force people to go to these courses. And so I think that we need to take a step back and really rethink what it means to educate people in the medical field, and especially pediatricians. I have a lot of empathy for adults, but you know, kids are you know, vulnerable creatures, and are we asking kids the questions? I'll just give you my own example. I had a pretty traumatizing childhood. I was abused as a child, which was really unfortunate and painful. 
and no one ever asked me how I was feeling. I was actually um, hospitalized five or six times from age of five to 10 during the time of my abuse that I did not disclose for a variety of reasons. And I was labeled gastroenteritis was the, what it was called, I guess, back then. And it's amazing to me that no one tried to find out what was happening in my life. There was no inquiry. I was also, you know, kind of a recalcitrant, difficult kid because I was struggling. I would yell and scream, I hate you, you know, and why I want to go to school. And even my own parents would say things like, who do you think you are talking to me that way? Get to your room. So I was triggering them and they didn't say, well, this is a message. Emotions are signals, right? This might not be what it looks like on the surface. I need to get underneath and find out what's happening. There is so much opportunity to promote healthy child development through the teaching of emotional intelligence to doctors and obviously parents and teachers and everybody. Just even having it on what we call the review systems. Yeah, and so, you know, here's the challenge though. My career started because when I was going through my traumatic experiences as a kid, I didn't disclose the abuse because I was afraid to do that. And I had two parents who loved me, but my mom was very anxious and overwhelmed all the time. And she was saying, I'm having a breakdown. I'm like, oh no, I, if I tell my mother about what's happened to me, she's gonna have a real breakdown. You know, my father was this self-proclaimed tough guy from New York and he'd say things like, son, you gotta toughen up. I'm like, well, can't tell my dad what's going on. But I was blessed to have an uncle who was getting his graduate degree in psychology and counseling who, you know, asked me that profound question when I was about 10 years old, which was, hey, Mark, you know, how are you feeling? Really, how are you feeling? It was his facial expression, body language, vocal tone. Can't tell you 100%, but whatever it was, I decided to reveal everything I was feeling and that was happening to me. And he didn't say, you know, toughen up or don't tell me I can't handle it. He said, you know, we're gonna get through this together. And I tell you that because I spent most of my career in the beginning writing curriculum with my uncle to get teachers to do this work with kids. But we fell into a huge problem. The adults weren't comfortable doing it. <laughs> right? I don't wanna talk about this. This is gonna open up Pandora's box. And we'd say things like, you're only gonna talk about the positive feelings? Like that's not what it means to be human. And anyhow, you know, over the course of my last 20 years, I've learned that we need to do quite a lot of work in developing the adults who are raising and teaching kids or their physicians. If they're not comfortable sharing how they're feeling, how the heck are we going to get kids to be comfortable sharing how they're feeling? I'm sort of reminded of that classic patient-doctor interaction where they're just about to leave that sort of doorknob moment. Oh, by the way, doc, what about this? That was really why they came, but they never really disclosed until the last minute or not at all. So thank you for sharing your background on this. And your new book is called Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. How would you maybe counsel physicians to think about maybe their own feelings and helping unlock those in their patients to maybe have very major therapeutic interventions? The title of my book, Permission to Feel, is a provocative one for some people. As a matter of fact, even my agent said things like, well, you know, it might be uncomfortable for someone in an airport to pick up a book called Permission to Feel. You know, it's, it's like so vulnerable. And I said, that's the point. Like, I'm not gonna run away from this. I think, honestly, the first step in this process 
for you, for me, for our kids, is permission to feel. Meaning, are we giving ourselves the permission to be our true feeling selves? I've had anxiety challenges my whole life, and I could blame my mother, I could blame my genetics. I know I was trying to figure out how to get rid of my anxiety for most of my life. And then I realized that maybe it's just part of who I am and I have to learn how to manage it more effectively. And that shift in mindset from getting rid of my anxiety to using my anxiety wisely completely changed my life. Step one is permission to feel. There's no good, there's no bad emotions. Because I write a lot about my uncle in my book as my hero, I've asked about a million people over the last about five years, did you have an Uncle Marvin? What were the characteristics of this person? And the top characteristics that I found in my research are empathy, compassion, non-judgmental, and supportive. Right now in the world we're living in, could you imagine if we had more empathy, compassion, non-judgment, and supportiveness? We have a, our country would be in a lot better place. I think that's what most folks who, let's say, go to medical school want to see themselves being as an empathetic, compassionate, listening type of clinician. And often, as we, we talked about already, that can get drowned out or su suppressed <laughs> through our clinical training or other stressors. I think that most of us are clumpers. We clump anxiety, stress, pressure, fear, overwhelmed into one place. And I want to unpack that for a minute because the emotion scientist says, tell me more, tell me more. The question is, well, can you do a one strategy fix all? And the answer is no, right? Because I can do breathing exercises until the cows come home, but if I got too much stuff on my plate and not enough support, guess what? I'm gonna be continuously stressed out. <laughs> and so one of the things that I feel is really important is to really get and build an advanced emotion vocabulary because and understanding those feelings helps you to think about what you might do for yourself and what you might do to help others to manage those emotions effectively. It sounds like you're trying to institute this, you have this ruler program, you went through the acronym that's yeah. in over 2,000 public and charter schools today. Actually, no, I'm proud to say we're in 4,000 schools as of this year. I just found out like a couple of days ago that this year between 770 new schools We've reached 4 million kids. We've trained about 150,000 educators. And we're in schools in 27 countries. I always say, I'm on the mission to create an emotion revolution. First of all, thank you for that great work. It came out of your own challenges as a kid, and now I think the impact will be pretty exponential. I mean, all those kids and who they touch over the next generation. Yeah. I understand that you also developed a, an emotional intelligence app with Ben Silberman, the founder of Pinterest. Ben is the former CEO now of Pinterest created a nonprofit that's separate from Pinterest called the How We Feel Project. He and a bunch of volunteers from Pinterest and others, and I and many of my colleagues at Yale all worked together and built the app. You know, you can journal about your feelings or you can tag your feelings based on who you're with and where you're at and what you're doing. And then based on that information, it gives you access to over 36 evidence-based strategies to regulate your emotions from mindfulness exercises to cognitive strategies, to social strategies, to movement strategies. 
What's really cool is that it kind of keeps track of all this. By the way, we don't see your data. It's personal. We're very careful about that. And it's free, by the way. It's called How We Feel. It's available right now on iOS. It'll be available on other platforms soon. I think we have about 100,000 users so far. I'm just downloading it right now, How We Feel, on the uh, iOS store and I guess on Android also. I'll try out yeah. with my, my kids. I've got a six and an eight-year-old and they definitely are changing and growing and I need to regulate my own emotional intelligence with them at, sure. at times <laughs> as well. As we go through our sort of you know, life journey at different age states, are they kind of where they were when they were a kid and informed? Like IQ may not change that much. Can their emotional intelligence be up-leveled? I think people confuse personality and temperament with emotional intelligence. I'm a self-proclaimed neurotic individual. I worry about everything. I even worry about why I worry. And then I say, Mark, you don't have that much to worry about. And I'm like, yeah, but something might go wrong. It's been my wave. You know, I'm 52. I'm also introverted. I don't want to be around loud music and lots of people. Even though I do so much public speaking, I'm always like, thank you very much. And I go back in the back room. <laughs> now, the question is, is that my emotional intelligence? I don't think it is. That's personality, which can inform your emotional intelligence. For example, the strategies that I choose to manage my feelings might be completely different than yours if you're an extrovert. You may say, I want to go to a sports bar and hang out with my friends and watch the game and drink a beer. If you asked me to do that, I'd be like, are you kidding me? I'll have a nervous breakdown. Like, I want to go sit in a wine bar with like one or two people and like quiet music and just chat. Neither is good or bad. It's learning through life what skills are helpful to you and what strategies within those skills work best for you. I'm not very even keeled emotionally. You know, I'm like irritable in the morning, then I'm fine, then I'm like annoyed, and then I'm fine. and <laughs> Not easy to live with. But um, in many ways, I just might have more opportunity to practice because of my fluctuation in mood. Whereas someone who's more even keeled, you know, someone might trigger them and they can't like, they just like get flooded and they can't deal with it. And my research from many years ago showed that the correlation between our temperament and personality and our knowledge and skill of healthy regulation strategies is actually quite low. So just like we want to do precision medicine or personalized medicine, that you might want to understand if someone's an introvert or extrovert, and that will help you guide them to being more open and, and feeling. Definitely. You know, in certain aspects of our lives, like math, statistics, precision in terms of correct or incorrect is important. But with emotional intelligence, it's kind of a, a game. The strategy that might help me feel better today may not be the one that I need tomorrow. The one that worked for me when I was five might not work for me when I'm 15 or 25 or 40. And so the way I think about it is that we have to be compassionate emotion scientists who are co-explorers and helping people find the different strategies that are out there and then the ones that work best for them based on their identity, cultural background, personality. So just as we finish up, is there anything we haven't covered or that you want to make sure we uncover about emotional intelligence that might be particularly relevant to our broad-based clinical audience? You know, there's the old thinking that we have to leave our emotions at the door because emotions interfere. And what I'm saying is that actually that suppression of emotion is going to interfere. <laughs> Why not embrace our emotions, 
be comfortable having those feelings. There's no such thing as a good or a bad emotion, right? Emotions are data, emotions are information. Our patients, by the way, most people don't go to see their doctor because they're in a good mood. When we learn how to embrace all emotions and use them wisely, we can be healthier, happier, more productive, and achieve our goals and dreams in life. I'm going to try your How We Feel app and recommend the Permission to Feel book to my uh, friends, family, and patients and fellow compatriots, Professor Mark Brackett from Yale, uh, Director of Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, co-creative ruler. Uh, check that out for your kids in their classrooms. And again, thanks so much for your great work and for joining us today on, on Healthy Conversations. Thank you.